You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wyatt, Terry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Robin Mock, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm super excited to have Lauren Fox on the show with me. She has an amazing new book. It's called Send for Me. And what an incredible twist on uh, the historical fiction uh, this book is. I love uh, the the really unique way um, that Lauren brings out this story. And we're going to get all into it. But uh, this is definitely a must-have for your TBR pile if you are a historical fiction fan uh, like we are here at Author Stories. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Thank you. Lauren, we begin each show with the same question, and that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Um, that is such a fun question. Um, I was in first grade, and my teacher read to us every day from a book called Where the Sidewalk Ends by Shel Silverstein. Yeah. Um, you're familiar with it, yes? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's just a book of silly, kind of wacky um, edgy poems. And, um, I think I remember being in that class and just being wrapped and, and really connecting with the goofiness of the poems and also, but also sort of the musicality of them, the rhythm and the rhymes, and just feeling like I wanted to stay there forever. And then kind of realizing I also wanted to write, I wanted to write. I just wanted to, I wanted to be able to make that kind of magic. And, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to, I, I wrote a lot of poetry. Um, <laughs> I would not, I, I hope is, is long gone and nobody ever finds, but, um, I just, the, the pure joy of, of hearing those poems really like imprinted in me. That's, that's so awesome. Um, were you a, a bookish kid? Did you read a lot? I was, it's, yeah. um, I've been thinking about that a lot because my, I have two kids and they're 18 and 13 and they claim that they don't like to read. It's <laughs> their little rebellion. My daughter is, um, going to be in college next year and she wants to major in physics. And I'm like, don't you just want to read all the time? <laughs> so, I, yeah, I was a bookish kid, but I think I was more of a bookish young adult because I think when yeah. you're when you're in school, you're sort of forced to read. So I've been right. thinking about my kids kind of grow into a love of reading because they don't they don't really have it right now. But I don't think I was as bookish a kid as I am now. <laughs> yeah. Well, as as an adolescent or young adult, when, whenever the the passion struck you, yeah. do you remember um, if there was a book or a series or an author that just it, it it transformed for you the idea of you know getting transported and lost in a story? Mm -hmm. There were there were a few. I was thinking earlier today about A Wrinkle in Time, um, um, uh, and that the series of of Madeline Lengel's books that um. I was, those, those really captured me. I was immersed in them. Um, I'm trying to think if there were, I know there were others. <laughs> um, this is so random, but there was a book, it was called Karen. It was a biography written by her mother of a little girl who had cerebral palsy. And she was, the mother was sort of like, um, she sort of started the move, like a disability movement to, to, um, 
um, back in the 60s. I think she was kind of like at the forefront of a sort of disability rights movement. And I, I somehow got my hands on that book and it was too grown up for me. And I just remember sitting in the backseat of the car going, mom, what does this mean? Mom, what does this word mean? And I remember her saying like after about 10 minutes saying, you know, maybe that book is too grown up for you. And, and I, and I have this distinct memory of being like, nope. <laughs> so I mean, I don't know if that was a, a series or a book that was like seminal for me as a book, but it was seminal for me as a reader, just thinking that I can read whatever I want and I will. <laughs> I love that. And, and, you know, there's, there's something uh, magical about those stories that even if you don't understand the context and yeah. don't understand the narrative and, and you're, you know, constantly having to ask what this means. Yeah. Um, there's something that that changes you in in pursuing that. Um, that's that's one of the great things about stories. Yeah. And it just opens up. I, she this woman also wrote a children's book about her daughter. And I read that, too. And I remember being like, why would I want to read this when I can read the adult version? Like, it's just there's a whole world out there for me. <laughs> so, Lauren, what what uh, you you had a love of reading and you always uh, kind of assumed that you would be a storyteller, but was this something that you, you actively pursued, you know, a, a after high school into college and, and, and into the career, um, you know, phase of your life? Yeah. I, um, I was an English major in college and with an emphasis, I went to the university, the university of Wisconsin, Madison. And I, um, so I was an English major and I was able to do an emphasis within the English major on creative writing. And I just, um, thought I wanted to write short stories. I just, short stories are my I was going to say my first love, but I already told you that poetry was my first love. So I guess short stories <laughs> are my second love. It, it's um, okay to have two first loves. But it's, it's, yeah. Um, um, yeah. So I just, I just wanted to, I, I wanted to do nothing but write short stories. Um, Lori Moore was my teacher at the University of Wisconsin. And the summer before my freshman year, I just remember taking her books out from the library and just pouring over them, just reading everyone that I could get my hands on and thinking, wow, she's going to teach me how to write short stories. Like it was just, just pure excitement. And then, so then I um, ended up after college, I had a few sort of, um, you know, random jobs working secretarial jobs or, you know, a couple of like nonprofit jobs that barely paid anything. And then I ended up in um, graduate school at the university of Minnesota in creative writing. So Laura, uh, Lauren, um, Looking back at uh, the person that you were going into that initial college degree um, mm -hmm. with the emphasis in creative writing, and, and you had certain ideas uh, ahead of time of what this would be, what doors this would open, what, what would transform in you in the, in the pursuit of this degree. And then on the other side of that, could, can you look back at, and and look at your expectations and did did the degree fulfill your expectations do, do you feel like you changed um over the the um the pursuit of that uh, or you know on the other side of that was it everything that you expected and hoped for was it more was it less what what do you feel about that um all of the above <laughs> um, <laughs> i really can't say that i had any expectations about a creative writing degree. I think, um, I, I can't, I don't think it makes sense to have expectations about a creative writing degree because, you know, I think it was actually Laurie Moore who said there are more 
um, you know, full-time astronauts in the world. Well, this was a long time ago, so maybe it's changed, but she said there are more astronauts in the world than there are people who make their living as writers. So I think I was pretty, um, you know, from the beginning, I was pretty um, not cynical, but maybe not super optimistic about where a creative writing degree would lead me. But I honestly felt like I had no other choice. You know, I um, when people ask me, you know, what other career options I, I considered. And I, I joke that I am actually not good at anything else, but I'm not really joking. <laughs> I don't really have, I kind of feel like at the risk of making this sound kind of weirdly mystical, I, I honestly feel like this is the thing I was meant to do. So I don't, I didn't, I knew I would have to supplement my income. I knew that I would be doing other things. Um, and I just tried to go to graduate school without taking out loans. I tried to, I, I was able to you know, teach and um, have other jobs while I was in school because I nobody should think that a creative writing degree will lead to riches because <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> so, um, getting your graduate degree, um, what do you feel like um, uh, that did for you? Did did that? Uh, did you know kind of what what parts um, uh, of your creative process needed honing? Um, did you go in with with expectations and and did that part of your education meet those expectations? Um, I was hopeful that I would find time and space to write with, you know, for a couple of years with no other sort of external obligations. I mean, I was in my 20s. I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. I wanted um, and I did find a community of writers, um, many of whom I'm still we still share work with each other. Um, and, you know, just a just a sort of like a little bubble, um, of time and space and focus. Um, I think that's what graduate school is for in any sort of artistic endeavor. That's just a, a, a time period, a period in your life when that's all you really are. That's all you really have to do. Um, it met my expectations completely because that is all I did for a couple of years, just, you know, kept writing and kept honing my craft and sharing my work and critiquing other people's work. It was, that was, those were a pretty amazing couple of years. So it was more um, the setting yourself apart uh, to yeah. this task than it was, I'm going to get a, a specific education or specific guidance. It's more about committing yourself wholly to, to this time and task. Yes. Um, and I mean, I certainly learned a ton from my teachers and my writing colleagues, but um, I don't think I went in thinking, you know, I really, well, I did actually go in thinking, God, I hope someone can help me with the plot, but um, <laughs> that's, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, mostly like those things were secondary to just the practice. Right. Um, your, your new novel send for me, um, is a bit of a departure, uh, in, in a lot of ways from, from some of your earlier work, uh, was friends like us, your first novel. No, uh, my, that was my second, my first novel was still life with husband and my, okay. Second. Yeah. Friends like us. Gotcha. What what was the uh, when you sat down to to start working on Still Life with Husband, your first novel? Did you have an idea what where that book was going, or was it one of these uh, kind of instances where there's an idea and you're chasing the idea through the story? I um, was thinking. So that book came out in 2007, um, and I started writing it. And I started writing it in, I think like 2001, I didn't, I w it wasn't really a straight path for me. I, a lot of other things happened, um, in between, between the beginning and the end of that novel. But I remember reading some bad 
books back then and thinking I could, I think I could do better than this. And, um, also feeling like, so that, so still life with husband is about a woman who has an affair and kind of blows up her marriage. And I remember thinking, God, all the books are about men who have affairs and where are the books about women who have affairs? There must be like, it takes two, right? So there must be some women out there, you know, who are making those same, um, questionable choices. So that was sort of the like spark of that book. And I, um, I, my husband and I moved to Milwaukee in 2000 and I remember, um, and he, he got a job here at the university of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. Um, and he was like, you know, why don't you take a couple of years and like, really, you've been wanting to write this novel for a long time. Why don't you really focus on it? And I, I worked part-time and I focused on my novel and I was, um, you know, dedicated to it. And then I got pregnant with my first daughter. So I took some time off, um, when she was a baby. So I came back to the novel like a year or two later. So I can't, I mean, I know that I had a specific, I I had outlined it and I had a specific goal in mind for that novel, but it took some twists and turns, just the process of writing. It took twists and turns. So the novel did as well. So you followed that book up, um, with friends like us. Mm -hmm. Um, what, what was the motivation behind that book? So I followed, actually followed still life with husband with an unpublishable, unpublished hundred pages that I wrote when I was <laughs> pregnant with my second daughter. And all, all the characters did um, was sit around and complain about how tired they were. So that one, that was my, that novel's in the drawer, <laughs> destined for nowhere. Um, and then Friends Like Us was my next novel. And um, so that novel is about two best friends and it's all about, um, and they're, 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 they're incredibly close. They even look alike. And um, the main character, so I think the pattern is my characters make some questionable decisions. She ends up, she introduces her best friend to her high school best friend. Um, they get the, those two get together. And then the, my protagonist proceeds to undo that relationship by getting involved with her high school best friend. So um, I don't know. I think I was just thinking about not my twenties specifically, but like all the sort of dramatic stories my friends had in their twenties, the, the like, the stories we had about when you're in your, I think, especially when you're in your early twenties, the, um, stakes feel so high in terms of like who you're going to date and who you're going to maybe potentially end up with. And, um, it was such an intense and dramatic time. And I sort of pulled some of those crazy stories, um, that I had been surrounded by in my twenties and pulled them into that book. Dream author by Sophie Hanna is an immersive 14 month coaching program for writers at any and every level of experience, and also for those of you who want to write and are just waiting for the right encouragement and guidance to get you started. Your writing dreams should make you happy. For so many of us, our dreams are not a source of happiness. Instead, they cause us stress, guilt, frustration, and even shame. Here's the great news. All of these feelings are natural and all writers experience them. The problem, though, is that when your writing dreams bring you more anxiety than joy, it affects your resolve and your productivity, and you end up not taking the action you need to take in order to propel your dreams in the right direction so that they can stand a strong chance of coming true. That's why Sophie created the Dream Author Coaching Program to teach anyone who is passionate about writing how to change the way they build, think about, and pursue their writing dreams in order to become their own most powerful ally and advocate for the rest of their writing life. And more great news. Once you've learned that skill, it lasts forever. Visit dreamauthorcoaching.com to get started today. 
authors. If you're looking for a partner to help ensure that your book is the best it can possibly be, look no farther than Pico's House. Crystal and her staff make a conscious effort to be critical yet courteous. They also strive to make the business side of things run smoothly so that you can rest easy knowing that your manuscript is in capable hands. Whether you need beta reading, developmental editing, a manuscript critique, line editing, copy editing, or proofreading, Pico's House is the one-stop shop for you. Check them out today at picoshouse.com to get started. Well, from those books and even into your new book, Send for Me, um, there, there's a theme of, of choices that, mm-hmm. that seems to permeate um, each of these books, but in, in different ways, and, and the choices are different. But um, it, it all uh, it kind of revolves around um, our actions and how that kind of washes out over other people and other situations and, and things like Is, is this uh, a theme that, that, uh, that has been uh, on your mind, or is this just one of those themes that seems to come up in writing that, that you notice kind of after the fact? Definitely a conscious one, because I, I, I think um, earlier in my writing career, I had the idea that I wanted to write. People were always talking about whether they like the main character in a book or whether um, she, because I feel like it's usually women, um, is, is relatable. And I remember thinking earlier, you know, I would like to write a very flawed main character who makes lots of questionable choices, but who is still, but I want to create this character um, so that she's still sympathetic, that you still want to, you want to keep reading and you, you might want to sort of close your eyes and go, don't do that. But you're still kind of behind her. I, that, so that was the task I set for myself, like how to make those choices, you know, maybe, maybe a reader wouldn't make those same choices, but you can sort of understand step-by-step step what this character is doing and why she's doing it. And you might close the book and say like, I wouldn't have done that, but I understand. Right. Your your new book, Send for Me, uh, on the surface, seems to be uh, a bit of a departure yeah. from your earlier work. I, I know that you have a very personal connection um, to this story, and I, I'm going to ask you to talk about that in just a minute. Um, but, it, you know, apart from when you get past the surface, does this book really feel that different um, to you from your previous work? Or is this just a natural extension of what you've already done? I mean, that's a, I have a, I have a multi-layered answer to that question. It's sort of, um, the tone is definitely different. I mean, I was yeah. kind of going for something, even though I, I feel like I've always been dealing with kind of heavy themes in my novels. I, the first, my first three novels, there's one after Friends Like Us called Days of Awe. Those, um, the tone in those novels is lighter. I mean, they're contemporary. So, I mean, I think that maybe goes with the territory for me, at least that like, I was able to have a lighter touch with those novels, but I have been thinking about the themes, um, in send for me and the story is, is my family's story, um, more or less. And so the, so it's a departure in terms of, um, setting and style, but it's not really a departure for me. It's been this, this, the story of send for me has been in my, my head and my heart for over two decades. When, um, because as you say, Sin for Me is the story of your family in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and your previous novels were were topics that that intrigued you or interested you um, that you would like to explore, but they they weren't necessarily your stories or, or right. uh, anyone that you were connected with stories. Um, yet still fun to to you know play out the what ifs and all of that. Um, was was the writing uh, in Sin for Me was it more difficult for you because there was such a personal connection? 
Um, once I really, so I wrote the, let me backtrack the, um, I worked on, um, a version of send for me. Uh, it, it was it, when I was in graduate school, um, I thought it was a memoir. <laughs> it's really not. Um, I, um, <laughs> I, I think that, um, I com- just completely lost my train of thought. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Um, what was, can you tell me your question again? I, I, was, was this more difficult for you to write because there was a personal connection? Did you, did, did, uh, let me, let me put it this way. Did, um, feeling more close to the material, uh, did that hinder or help, uh, the telling of this story or were there ever times where it, the material is just too close to home? You know what I mean? Where where you feel like ah, this is kind of claustrophobic feeling in a way. No, I think obviously my little brain blip in the middle of answering that question suggests that maybe <laughs> you're onto something there. But I once I embraced, so I wrote this as a memoir. I rejected it. I put it aside for you know almost two decades. Um, but once I embraced the story, um, once I returned to it and had this sort of revelation that it was a novel, I was completely immersed in it. It wasn't. It was it's such a heavy topic and it's, you know, it, it's, it's emotional and it's sad, but it was kind of a joy to write really. Like once I was, once I was fully devoted to writing this book, it felt like the the only thing I wanted to do every day, all the time. So let's, let's give the, uh, the listeners, uh, uh, a little peek inside of what, what brought the story about in the beginning of the book, there's a, there's an author's note where it's it's about three pages long, and you tell this story of your life with your grandparents uh, growing up, yeah. and how after they had passed, there were all these letters uh, that you discovered, and they were uh, written in in old German um, that was not easily uh, uh, decipherable, or that uh, you had to go to a specialist to help you um, translate these. Um, right how did this how did this come about and then when did you realize that this was a, a treasure trove of of inspiration that would uh you know eventually lead to sin for me um i i discovered that so my grandparents in the last years of their lives had lived with us and so we had all the contents of their apartment in our basement um after they died i was going through some of their stuff and i came upon this box of letters and um, I, it was such a vivid moment. I still remember like the feel of the wood box that they were stored in and the, and the pink ribbon that was uh, tied around the letters. And I mean, it's just such a, I just knew. I, so like you said, they were written in this old fashioned German script. So my mom couldn't read them. She's German as her first language, but they were illegible to her. It was a script, I think that was taught before. It, I don't know. It was, I think you could only read it if you learned to write like before World War I. But um, wow. uh, yeah, and I, I, but I just knew I, you know, I think when, when, when you grow up in the kind of family I grew up in, which was really close and really loving, but also a little bit mysterious, there were questions I knew, I of course knew about the history of the Holocaust because I live in the world and we learned about it. And but right. I knew, and my grandparents had, you know, thick German accents and, you know, I, I knew where they came from, but they never talked about it but I had so many questions and I was so, I couldn't ask them. I mean, there was this like, it was like cotton wool surrounding them and their experience. I mean, they were so, they were such loving, gentle people, but they did not really tell us anything about where they came from. Um, 
So I found these letters and I just had this, I just knew that they were going to be um, the key to unlock some of my questions. So I went about the process of having them translated. It took like a, it took a year. I found a professor at the University of Minnesota where I was in grad school at the time. And he um, kind of took a personal interest and he was a, he was a specialist. So he was able to read that writing and I would bring one or two letters. There are about 75 letters and I would bring one or two letters into his office every week. And um, we would sit together and he would read them out loud in English into a little tape recorder. And then I would go home and transcribe them. So it was this incredible experience of sort of learning about my family little by little and piecing the story together kind of week by week. That, that is amazing. Yeah. Uh, I, I have, um, uh, I have a lot of letters and things from, from my grandparents of world war two and, mm-hmm. and previous. And it's such, you know, when I, and I can read them, they're all in English and, mm-hmm. uh, but it's such a window into a, another time, another place. Uh, yeah. It it almost seems like fiction in a lot of ways because the world is so different. I can't imagine discovering these stories the way you did. That that had to be joyous and heartbreaking and kind of all of the emotions. I sometimes felt like just because of the long sort of drawn out process that it was, I remember sometimes feeling like I get home from school and I almost expected a letter from my great grandmother in my mailbox. Like it was such a, you know, she just lived yeah. in my head for so long, but it wasn't, um, the thing is that what they weren't really stories. I mean, I, I was left to piece together a lot of that on my own because she was so, they were so desperate to leave Germany. Um, and she didn't think she was writing for anyone except her daughter. So they weren't really like, Oh, this is what happened today. It was more like I found, you know, this dress, you didn't take it with you. Should I mail it to you? It was more like, um, just the day-to-day business of, yeah, it was like a of life. I mean, she was, she was so desperate to leave and she would say, you know, she, it was a lot of business too. It was like, did you get the, did you get this signed? Have you done this? Have you checked? Have you gone down this Avenue? Because wow. it was getting harder and harder for them to leave. So. Wow. Yeah. So Lauren, <clears throat> excuse me, my, my voice just started to leave. Lauren, <laughs> you said that uh, this was a story that you had carried with you for uh, the better part of two decades. And originally you thought this was going to be uh, a memoir. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it or, or what was the the key to unlocking this, this personal mystery of, of what sin for me would be that you realized that, okay, this is not memoir. This is going to be a novel. And when you met that realization, did it unlock the possibilities of what the story could be? So much. I mean, I wrote it as a memoir because um, I was, um, convinced, and I still am, that you know, in a world where Holocaust deniers exist, we have such an obligation to tell the truth. Um, but what I didn't understand was that it didn't have to be a memoir. I could tell the true story, and I could make, I could invent these characters based on what I knew about my family. So you know, they're 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 closely related to my family's to to characters in my family. But of course, you can't get into um, anyone else's head. So the permission to imagine these characters just kind of blew everything wide open for me. And when I wrote it as a memoir, I was in my twenties and I'm actually, I wasn't very, I'm not particularly interesting now. I really wasn't very interesting then. I didn't have that much to say. <laughs> it's much more, um, I'm much more interesting fiction writer than I am memoirist. So yeah, once I realized I could, I, I gave myself the permission to write this as fiction. It just, it just smashed it open. Well, that brings up a, a great uh, question that that I've always wanted to ask um, historical fiction writers. Um, 
because this is a time period where so much is known uh, and and we have a a a pretty good history nailed down. um, Where is the freedom for a fiction writer to come in and take up a story like this? Like where where do you decide the boundaries are of what what needs to be factual? Where, you know, what what areas you can, um, you know, illuminate and uh, and exaggerate? Uh, how do you determine those boundaries and 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 how do you operate within that framework? So two things. Research um, gave me so much confidence. Once I you know, the more I researched, the more I read the more I understood the time period, the more I was able to um, give myself permission to fictionalize the story. So, you know, when I know that, when I knew, when I could see what kind of shoes one of the characters would be wearing, when I could see the, you know, the cobblestone street they walked down, I could place them there and just, you know, invent their relationship. So I was able to, um, once I, the more I researched, the easier it was for me to fictionalize the story. Um, And, you know, all the bonds and connections that, and the, and the confusions and the betrayals that are like, you know, the bread and butter for fiction writer, those, that's all fiction. And everything about the time period is based on my historical research. So those two things coexisted. And the stronger I got at, at, at understanding the time period, the, the more permission I gave myself to fictionalize the story and the characters. But also I used my grandmother's letters in send for me. And I sort of, steadfastly held on to the one promise I made myself was that, which was that I wasn't going to change a word of her letters. I mean, they're, they're incredibly edited and pared down. And sometimes I just take a line from a letter, but those are her words. So that also kind of anchored me in terms of the historical, you know, truth of the story. Right. Um, I mentioned at the, at the very beginning of our conversation that sin for me is a really unique historical fiction uh, novel in that uh, there are, are really two stories in two different timelines that you uh, definitely connect uh, in the story. We've got Annalise's story, mm-hmm. and uh, and and then we have Claire's story. Yeah. Um, at, at how did you how did you come up with these two stories, and and when did you realize that that you could do it this way with with really a pair of glasses with lenses that were in two different time periods. Well, funny thing. I only had a pair of glasses with one lens for most of the writing (laughs) of the book. Um, I most, I wrote Annalise's story and it was just pure historical fiction. Um, and it ended, um, at the point where I don't want to give anything away about the story, but it ends at a certain point in the story where, um, you know, Annalise is a young woman living in establishing her life in Milwaukee with her husband and daughter. Um, and then I, you know, happily sent it to my editor and was like, what do you think? And she was like, well, (laughs) I think you're missing something here. (laughs) So my wise and brilliant editor suggested a contemporary strand to this story, which kind of brings me back to the memoir that I was working on, you know, when I was in my twenties and I like, was like, no, I I can't do that. That that ship has sailed. I'm not going to write that. I was defensive and <laughs> really didn't want to. And then of course, as I think you can, you're starting to hear a pattern in my writing process. Once I kind of embraced her idea, I, I almost thought it would be too easy. Like I couldn't, cause the character of Claire is sort of the closest, you know, correlation to me in the story. And I was like, I can't, you know, this is, I don't want to do this. But once I, once I sort of took her advice and started doing it, 
um, I, that's when I guess I put on the second pair of glasses. Is that, is that the second, the, the, the other, the bifocals? <laughs> <laughs> um, after this foray into uh, historical fiction, does this um, change your your outlook or your vision for the future of of works to come? Uh, or it, was this an isolated project because of your personal connection to it? I well, like I said, the the process of researching was really um, gratifying. And so I kind of think maybe, you know, maybe my next work will be historical fiction or maybe zombies. I haven't decided. <laughs> a, a natural inclination either, yeah. either way. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is 2021. You, you never know. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Lauren, what are you working on now? Um, you know, the, if we know anything about publishing, Sin for Me has probably been off of your desk for, for a while now. Uh, what, what holds your your attention and your imagination now? I am working on not losing my mind and <laughs> um, trying to, you know, my my kids are, well, they're older, they're 18 and 13, but they're, you know, but they're at home now. So I haven't really, um, I, don't, I don't know what I'm working on. There's just a lot of tumbleweed rolling around in my brain. I have a few ideas, but I've learned from experience. If I talk about them, they like petrify in midair. So, <laughs> so short answer is I don't really know. <laughs> gotcha. Um, <laughs> If, if when when people get their hands on sin for me and they read through the story and they get to the end of it and they close that that back cover uh, and and we're left to 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 stew on the story and for it to live with us, what do you hope people are left with? Oh, that is such a good question. I've thought about it so much, um, and I don't know. <laughs> I do. I I returned to this story um, when it came to light that uh, families were being separated at the border and that children were being put in cages. And I remember thinking, well, you know, there's no way to process these horrors. And suddenly my story seems really relevant. Um, and so I felt like this was my moment to sort of amplify this story because it turns out the past is never past and we haven't really learned our lessons. And so th that was my sort of impetus in writing this 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 novel and so i guess maybe i hope that when a reader closes this book he or she feels a connection to the story an empathetic connection to the story and like an ownership that you know the stories like the things that are happening now are you know we're all we're all connected and, you know, if we raise our voices loud enough, maybe we can make some changes. Not that I think a novel can change the world, but I feel like it can create empathy. So maybe that's that's my hope. And that's a pretty good hope. Uh, Send for Me is available everywhere now when you're hearing this uh, in Kindle edition or hardcover or audiobook. However you like to consume novels, you can grab it in, in any format that you like. We're going to put links to each of those in the show notes of this episode. Uh, Lauren, if people are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you do, where can they connect with you online? I am on Facebook and Instagram, and I have a website that is being updated as we speak, and that's laurenfoxwriter.com. My Instagram handle is laurenfoxwriter. Um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Excellent. We'll put links to those in the show notes as well. Uh, Lauren, I love the book. We're going to send everyone to pick up a copy. Uh, thank you for taking time to come on the show today. Thank you for having me. And we'll cut it right there. Um, when we release this, uh, we'll send you a link and we'll promote it everywhere. Great. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Lauren. This was so much fun. Thanks for joining me today. It was lovely to talk to you. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye.
authors. I have a fantastic new service to tell you about. It's called PubSite. PubSite is a service to help you build your very own website, your home on the web, where you can promote your work and give your fans a place to connect with you. PubSite is a website platform that allows every author, regardless of budget, to have a great-looking professional website developed by the book marketing professionals at FSB Associates. PubSite is the new easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 20 or a small publisher, PubSite allows you to build, design, and most importantly, update your website pain-free. No need to be dependent on a designer or webmaster to make a small but costly change to your website. Save the money and do it yourself. PubSite is the best platform for authors because it's a book-centric platform. PubSite was built just for authors and small publishers. Every design, feature, and layout is book-centric. They have customized designs for you to use. It's easy to build. No coding or HTML is necessary to create a stunning, professional-looking website with all the features you want. Get a custom domain name, yourname.com. It's simple to update. You can add all of your books, add a blog and a book tour, sell from any retailer, manage your email list and social media, and even do e-commerce. Build your website with a 14-day free trial, then pay just $19.99 per month, which includes hosting. And we offer packages starting at $499 to set up the website for you. Pub-Site.com, the place to help authors find their home on the web.